If you uh, just join us tonight, we're in the middle of a series in 1 Corinthians. Let me just give you a, a recap on where we've been. Uh, Corinth is a church in Greece, and Paul planted this church. Uh, this church thought that they were a special church. They thought they were super spiritual. They thought they knew it all. But if you got a glimpse into this church, you'd find men and women who were people followers. Some followed Paul, some followed Apollos, some followed Peter. Uh, they were just after human leadership. And this church in Corinth was a very worldly church. Uh, the, the culture of the world was making its way into the church and Christ was being squeezed out of this church. And so you find in, in Letters of the Corinthians, you've got a, a man who is sleeping with his mother-in-law and the church does nothing about it. Uh, you find in a church in Corinth, you've got two Christians who are going at it hammer and tong, fighting over something in, in a public courts. And the church does nothing about it. In Corinth, you've got uh, men who are going to sleep with prostitutes and the church just turns a blind eye. And in Corinth, you've got Christians who talk about their rights all the time. It's my right. I can do what I want. It doesn't matter about other people. It's all about me, 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 me. And that's the context for this chapter looking at tonight. Paul shifts his focus onto what happens in the public gathering. So in Corinth... Good people, men and women like us tonight, they meet in a church building. How do people relate in the church? Uh, next week, look at uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, the week after the use and abuse of spiritual gifts. But tonight, uh, the way that men and women are to relate in a public gathering. Let me just flag this, that tonight's passage is controversial. Uh, anyone who preaches on it is, uh, is accused of being a chauvinist or anti-women. Uh, people who hear it are offended. I've actually found it quite liberating to look at this passage this week, and I pray that you would too. Uh, before we look at the passage, let me give you a bit of culture or context in, in Corinth. Let me say this. Clothes communicate something. I'll say it again. Clothes communicate something. What you wear makes a statement. Just think about it, you know. Uh, the Oscars... People spend weeks planning what they wear to make a statement. And the outfit of Keira Knightley, and everyone is shocked by that. And, or think about a, a David Beckham wearing that sarong. He's making a statement. What you choose to wear will communicate to other people something about yourself. Look at these pictures up here. The guy on the left, what's he trying to communicate? Guy in a suit. What do you think? Professional... Businessman. What about those dudes at the top? Dudes, surfy dudes. Hey, I'm cool. What was that? Uh, what about the, uh, the girl at the bottom? What, what's she trying to communicate by that hat and that dress? <laughs> I, I'm going to the races, you know, I'm trendy, I'm chic. Uh, what about the guy with his cap backwards? What's he trying to communicate by that? Attitude, you know. What about, what about, the, what about the, the guy from the, the King G um, catalogue? What's, what's he trying to communicate? Sad? Um, you know, what, what you wear actually makes a statement. It's, that's true, isn't it? You with me? And you know, the way that you choose to, to wear your hair makes a statement. 
You know, women can put their hair up and it looks really nice and chic, or they can wear it long, or they can gel it, or they do the messy look, or the guys have short hair, they shave it, they grow it long, they gel it up, they stick it down. The way that that you wear your hair, it, it makes a statement. And you've got to understand that in Corinth, that clothing and hair communicated something. So in Corinth, men would wear, in general, long flowing garments like a toga. And they would wear it over the shoulders. If, if a man chose to wear his toga over his head, he's communicating either I'm in mourning, or I'm a Jewish priest, or he's communicating, I'm someone really, really, really important, so don't you dare talk to me. And in Corinth, if a man chose to have his hair long, see, in first century Corinth, men had short hair. Forget your picture of Jesus with long hair, there's no evidence for that. Short hair for blokes. If they had long hair, you're communicating, I'm homosexual. Same with the women, okay? Women wore togas too. Uh, but the culture or the custom for the woman was to wear your toga over your head. Especially if you were married. If you were married, uh, to wear a toga over your head was a sign to other people that you were married. A bit like wearing a wedding ring today. And so if you chose to, to uh, wear your toga on your shoulders, you are making a statement. And way before the days of hair straighteners and uh, hair extensions, uh, most women ha- had long hair but they'd wear it up. If you chose to go out in public with your hair loose and long, you are saying, hey, I'm a loose woman. Hey, I'm available. Hey, I'm a prostitute. Or if you chose to have your hair shaved or or hair cut short, you are communicating, I'm a lesbian or I'm sexually immoral. Numbers 5 talks about a woman cutting her hair to show she's sexually immoral. And you see how in the first century Corinth, what you wore and how you wear your hair, it communicated different things. And here's the issue in Corinth. In the church, when people turned to Christ and become Christians, uh, life for women was radically transformed. Women were valued and women were respected and Jesus welcomed the women and Jesus gave women a status and a position and they had worth. And for the first time, for the first time, women could actually participate in worship services. Women could stand up and pray, and women could stand up and prophesy, and it's this mark of this newfound freedom in Christ. And that was radical. Uh, But some women took that freedom, and grabbed that freedom, and just took it too far. And some women said this, I'm free, I'm a Christian, I can do whatever I want, whatever a man can do, I can do. And they took this principle called freedom and they they flaunted social conventions and they said, I can wear my hair long, I can wear my hair up, I can wear my toga, whatever like. It's my rights and my freedoms. I can do whatever I want because I'm free in Christ. And I see how loud a statement this would make. A woman standing up in church with her hair flowing loose and she's claiming to follow Jesus but her hair is saying, I'm a loose woman, I'm a prostitute. Or a woman stands up in church and she's she's saying, I want to pray. But she's got a shaved head and her hair is communicating, I'm a lesbian or I'm sexually immoral. It would be like a woman standing up in front this evening with a a ridiculously short skirt and a plunging neckline and makeup plastered over her face and saying, let's pray to God. And we're sitting there going, 
are you talking to God or are you trying to pull? Are you a woman of the word or a woman of Christ or, or the woman of the world? What are you communicating by what you wear and what you dress? And that's what this passage is about tonight. It's not about women preaching, it's not about women in ministry, that's not the issue. The passage is about men being men and women being women and just celebrating those differences. So let's listen to the passage and I'll ask Kate to come and read it. Okay, it's 1 Corinthians 11, starting from verse 2, and that's on 812, page 812. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings, just as I pass them on to you. Now I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonours his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it, if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered, Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Let me pray. Our Father, I want to thank you for the scriptures which challenge us. Uh, They're often confronting Uh, But I pray that your spirit would um, speak powerfully tonight to each one of us, that you give us ears that long to hear. And we ask all that for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to say, firstly tonight, that that gender is in conflict, or headship is denied. Gender is in conflict. Uh, Gender is in massive conflict today. Ever since the the feminist movement of the, the 1960s, there's been massive conflict over what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And there are some important things to come out of feminism. There's a, for, for far too long, and in far too many countries, uh, women have been devalued and abused and, and marginalised, and that is wrong. That is wrong. But without wanting to sim- simplify things too much, there seems to be this spectrum for gender. And at the at one end of the spectrum, there's the, the radical feminists. And the radical feminists basically say that men are bad that women are good, that all men hate all women, and that women can do whatever men can do. Women need to be empowered. You know, you girl, girlfriend, you you can do anything, you know. Anything a man can do, you can do. We don't need men, we don't want men, it's girl power. That is the the radical feminists. At the other end of the spectrum, there is the the chauvinists, the male chauvinists. And they basically say, uh, men are better than women, 
women are second class citizens, women should just uh, get married, stay at home, bake cakes, so have kids, you know, just shut up women, women are less capable than men, and that is wrong. That is wrong. Uh, male chauvinists have got a lot to answer for. And the stats are horrific. One fifth of women have been physically or sexually abused by men. And that is wrong. Down the centuries, men have been horrible to women. And we need to correct that, apologise for that, seek forgiveness. But, you know, but the feminist movement is also wrong. You know, after 40 years of feminism and being told there's no distinction between men and women, uh, you've got a whole generation of, of women who have been trained to be men and they're trying to hold down the high-powered job and, and have the kids and juggle everything. They want the career, but they want to be a mum, but they're being told that being a mum is worthless and many are at breaking point. Or we've got a generation of women who, who hate men, who don't trust men, don't need men, don't want men. My rights, and as a woman, I'm threatened if I can't be a man. And you've got a whole generation of men who are becoming more and more effeminate and wimps and passive and insecure and, and that's a consequence of feminism. It's a disaster. Uh, so, so feminism is wrong and chauvinism is wrong and when you open the Bible what you find is God's answer, God's view is called complementarianism. Men and women, they complement each other. It says God made us male and female and we're both equal. One isn't better than the other, it's not good and bad, it's not superior and inferior, we're both equal. But there are differences. Men and women are different. And so men should be men and women should be women. And that's what this passage is all about. If you're a man, be a man. If you're a woman, be a woman. And whether you're a man or a woman, make sure that you do everything to the glory of God. Let's look at the passage under the heading, uh, Gender Identified. I see, gender is not socially conditioned, it's about creation. Uh, men and women are different because God made us different. He created order in all relationships. So look at verse 3. There is order in the Trinity. It says, verse 3, I want you to realise the head of every man is Christ. And the head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Uh, that word head... It can be used in three different ways. It could mean just your, your physical head, you know, the bit above your neck. It could mean like a source, like the head of the river. It, it could mean authority, like the head of a school. And the most common use in the Bible is that use of authority, like the head of the school. So it says there in verse 3 uh, that the head of Christ is God. He's saying there's headship, there's order in the Trinity. There's one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But within the Trinity, there's complete equality, but, but there's also differences, and there's also an order. And so God the Father has authority over God the Son. And Jesus says in John's Gospel, you know, I always obey my Father. And the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, or the helper. It's not degrading, it's not demeaning, it's just saying, I'm here to submit to my Father and bring glory to the Son. See how there's order, there's headship in the Trinity. Verse 3, that the head of Christ is God the Father, and that's a good thing. And there's order in creation. Look again at verse 3. And the head of every man is Christ. The head of every man is Jesus Christ. Jesus has the authority. Uh, that is because Jesus created us, we belong to Jesus, we're under his headship. See, so if I said verse 3, 
the head of every mankind, the head of mankind is Christ. You and I wouldn't bat an eyelid. We'd say, that's right. We're made by God. He's our head. Except the word in verse 3 is not the word for mankind. The word in verse 3 is actually the masculine word. It means man, it means male, it means bloke. The head of the men is Jesus. He's our authority. And this is where it gets tricky, so stick with me. Uh, You see, the word for man is the same word for husband in Greek and the word for woman is the same word for wife in Greek. And so you could read verse 3 as the head of every husband is Christ, the head of the wife is husband and the head of Christ is God. And we'd say, well, that's okay. Ephesians 5, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, lead your family sacrificially and lovingly. But Paul's not talking about marriage here. Paul's talking about the church. And he's talking about the way that men and women in general relate. And so he goes back to creation. Paul argues from creation. It's up on your screen. Look at Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. It says this. Then God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. One God made mankind male and female. And look at it, they were both made in the image of God. They're both image bearers of God, male and female. So there's equality. Equal in dignity, equal in esteem, equal in honour, equal in attributes. They're completely equal. So statements like, you know, women are less valuable. That is so offensive to our Creator. We're both made in the image of God. But, but there's a difference. Because man was made from the dust and woman was made from the side of the man. There's an order. And that's what Paul says in verse 7. Look at it with me. A man ought not to cover his head since he he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. The man is the image and glory of God. See, every man, starting from Adam, reflects God's glory. The man brings praise and honour and glory to, to, to Jesus, to God. And people see man, they should say, wow, we have a great creator God. But according to verse 7, the woman is the glory of man. Listen carefully. Paul does not say that woman is born in the image of man. He doesn't say that. He doesn't deny that women are made in the image of God. Paul doesn't deny that women bring glory to God, but he's saying there's a purpose in creating women. The purpose is there in verse 8. For, for man didn't come from woman, but woman from man. And neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Again, it's back to Genesis chapter 2. That's on your screen as well. Genesis 2. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man. And he brought it to the man, and the man said, This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. What Paul is saying in verse 8 is that, is that man was made for God, to work the ground, to care for creation, to worship God. But woman was made for man. Not as his slave, not under his dominion, not so that man can bully her. But she was made for man, just because man by himself was incomplete. Remember that? Not good for man to be alone. No companion suitable for him. The animals won't do. He needs some bone of his bone 
someone like him but different. So, so a woman is created, and she's described as a helper, which is a good thing, it's not degrading. A woman was made as, as the man's lover, as the man's friend, as the man's equal, and it was all very good. A man sees a woman, he just thinks, wow. And see, she is the man's glory, because she came from man. She's the man's completeness, she's the man's compliment. Men need women, that's what he's saying. And that's why Paul in verse 3 says that the head of the woman is man. It's just there's an order there. It's not degrading, just an order. But then he reminds us in verse 11 actually that we need each other. We're not independent. Verse 11, in the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. Ever since that first man, we need women to, to procreate. If there's no women, the world dies out. No men, the world dies out. We're not, in, we're not independent. We're interdependent. That's what the Bible says about men and women. Equal in Christ. But it doesn't mean that all the distinctions are blurred. You know, men are to be men. Women are to be women. And that's a good thing. This is controversial only because you know, in our schools, in our universities, in our workplace, in our media, uh, we're told that, that men and women are just duplicates of each other. Just duplicates. Anything a man is, a woman is. Anything a man can do, a woman can do. It's just not true. We've been sold this lie, we've been fed this lie, and we've just swallowed that lie. And that's why you've got this gender war today. And then you've got women who, who want to be men and take all the, the responsibility. You've got men doing what Adam did back in the garden. He sat back and did nothing and said nothing. He was just being a wimp. But the real root of this gender war is this. Listen carefully. It's that we question and we doubt the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. Why? Because, because the one thing that you and I didn't choose was whether we were born a man or a woman. None of us sort of sat in the womb and said, I'd like to be a man, oh, I'd like to be a woman. And so we live here on earth as a man, as a woman, and, and how dare we shake our fist at God and say, I don't want to be a woman, I don't want to be a man. How dare you, God, you got it wrong. We're questioning God's sovereignty and making us as men and making us as women. And we're saying, you don't know, God, you're not really good. God decided your gender, and we're supposed to delight in that. Again, don't mishear me. I recognise the abuse and I recognise the way that women have been treated. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying the answer is not to amorphous into one sort of unisex. Uh, the answer is to delight in being a man, delight in being a woman. Uh, see, if God made you a man, why do you, why do you despise that? And if God made you a woman, why do you despise being a woman? We are male and female. There's an order. Let's celebrate that. And that's the big point of this passage, that in the church, men should be seen to be men and godly men, and women should be seen to be women and godly women. And that's a great thing that honours God and brings glory to Christ and promotes the gospel. Let's apply this passage under the heading, Gender Distinctions. Gender Distinctions. You see, as men and women, it does matter what we wear, and how we conduct ourselves, and what we say, and what we do. So here's a picture. Uh, you, you come to church one Sunday night, it's a bit like tonight, and someone stands up to pray, 
or someone stands up to, to prophesy. We'll talk about prophecy in two weeks' time. Prophecy is just inspired speech, a word given by God for a particular time, a particular congregation. It could be spontaneous, it could be planned, but it's to edify, it's to encourage. But the point is that someone stands up to pray or to prophesy. And you should be able to tell whether that person is a man or a woman, just by looking at them. And you should be able to tell whether a man or a woman, whether they're godly, just by looking at them. And she stands up and you say, that is a godly woman, amen, sister. He stands up, that's a godly man, amen, brother. We're not supposed to be in this state of confusion about their gender or their sexuality or their morality. So look at verse 4. If you're a man, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonours his head, dishonours Christ. Why is it? Because in Corinth, he'd look like a woman and he'd be communicating, oh, I'm superior, I'm important, don't talk to me, glory to me. And he'd bring shame on his head, that is Christ. Or verse 14, in Corinth, a man who stood up with long hair would be a disgrace because he'd be communicating, I'm gay or I'm sexually immoral. Or look at the women in verse 5. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head, the man, it's just as though her head were shaved. Uh, So this woman stands up and she's either saying, I want to be a man, treat me like a man. Or she's saying, I'm a whore. Or she's saying, I'm a lesbian. Or she's saying, I am married, I'm going to pretend that I'm single because I just keep my options open. And Paul is kind of ironic in verse 6. He says, just go the whole way. Cut off your hair, shave off your hair, be like a man. Verse 10, for this reason and because of the angels, no one has a clue what that means because of the angels, uh, the woman ought to have a sign, the word sign is not there, the woman ought to have authority on her head. Just saying, you know, you're free to choose what you wear on your head, whether it's covered or not covered, but make sure you're being godly. Make sure what you choose honours your head, your husband, your, your father, the men in church, your saviour and your God. It's a really very simple principle. In God's house, make sure that men look and act like godly men and women look and act like godly women. A godly woman doesn't want to be a man. A godly woman doesn't want to look like a prostitute. A godly woman wants to be seen to love Jesus and to love the scriptures and to love being a woman and to celebrate being a woman and to be thankful for being made in the image of God. And a godly man doesn't want to be effeminate. They want to love Jesus and love the scriptures and love being a man. And Paul says in verse 16, do you want to argue? You haven't got a leg to stand on. There's no other practice and nor do the other churches. So what does it mean for us? Paul is not arguing that men must have short hair. Paul is not arguing that women must wear hats. You know, Throughout the centuries, people have argued about whether women should wear a shawl or a, a beret or a hat or a jewelry on her head. You know, uh, one church, it's a true story, one church, one walked into church and the, the person said, uh, women in this church cover their head. A piece of aluminium foil will do. It's ridiculous. It's not the point. Paul doesn't care about head coverings. There's nothing inherently immoral about head coverings or hairstyle. What matters is that your dress or your grooming communicates godly things in your particular culture. 
So in Corinth, it did matter what you wore on your head. It had sexual, religious, marital implications. But today, I I don't think people look at a woman with her head uncovered or short hair and think, she's a loose woman. I don't think that uh, people look at men with long hair and say, he must be gay. So let me say a word for the women. A word for the women of our church. This passage is actually incredibly liberating. You see, in an age where, where women were oppressed and not allowed to do anything, you get a glimpse of, of a woman in Christ who is praying and who is prophesying and is being valued. And women can and should do lots of things in church. They should give a testimony, lead the singing, read the scriptures, pray, open encouragement, full-time ministry, go to Bible college, do all those things. But please do them as a woman and not as a man. Please celebrate your womanhood. I've struggled hard this week to think how to apply this in a helpful way. I've chatted to loads of women. Just please dress or groom in a way that doesn't miscommunicate. Please be aware that what you wear, how you wear it, how you do your hair, how you do your makeup, that can be misinterpreted. So back to my example, the woman in a, a plunging neckline or the midriff showing, that can give signals to people, both the insider and the outsider. I'm not saying be daggy, I'm not saying wear long floral skirts, I'm just saying be godly. If you're a married woman, think about whether what you say or what you wear brings respect to your husband. One woman in this church walked into church and I saw her turn her engagement ring around. She's engaged, not married. And she said, I'm keeping my options open. You're called to be godly and perhaps women in this church need to think about the way that you speak to other women. It seems to me that women do seem to be more critical and yes, more bitchy when they talk or judge other women. Is that godly? Is it godly to, to stand up at church and pray or read the scriptures and walk into the courtyard and start to bitch? What are you communicating there? Uh, perhaps you need to stop criticising the men, stop trying to usurp authority. Perhaps you need to think about your motivations for, for doing something. Is it just to prove that you are capable as a woman, just to make sure that women are represented up front? I know one woman in this church who used to keep a spreadsheet of how many, people, how many women were up the front each week. And she'd email me once a month. That is ridiculous. Women, all I'm saying is, be a godly woman, be seen to be a woman, enjoy the freedom and the dignity that the gospel brings, and dress and groom or act in a way that, that, that encourages the gospel, not hinders it. Worship God with reverence. Respect God's order in creation. Love your femininity and be seen to be a woman. But tonight, I just want to focus more on the men and the women. You see, in Corinth, it was the women who were blurring the distinctions and trying to be men. But from my observation, the reason that women take the lead in churches today is often because men are not stepping up and being men. Men are not stepping up and uh, to do things and to lead. And men are not maturing in Christ and men are not leading their marriages. And we come to these gatherings and it's the women who fill the many gaps because they're godly. 
They spot the gap and they fill it and men are being wimpish. And so I'm saying to men of church by the bridge, be a man. Step up and be a man. Express your masculinity. I'm not talking about being a bully, I'm not saying being a blokish, I'm not saying putting women down. I'm just saying stop being effeminate and be a man. If you're a married man, you know, lead your wife. Read the scriptures with your wife, pray with your wife, come to church with your wife. It is so sad when you see wives in church by themselves without their husbands. Men, are, are, we, are we helping our sisters in Christ to flourish and be the women of God that, that God made them to be? Men, what are we communicating by, by what we wear? I put my hand up, I use moisturiser, yep. And I use hair, but it's okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying what we wear, you know, tight skinny jeans and, and tight tops and men mincing around and walking like women and talking like women and bitching and gossiping and men who don't want to grow up in Christ. I'm just saying grow up and be a man. Stop being women. See, if men actually stepped up in this church and took a leadership role, then perhaps we would encourage women to be women and men to be men. Leadership is just being sacrificial. It's leading in a gentle, godly, Christ-like way. Why don't men serve in this church? Why don't the men serve in this church? Yeah, I walk in the courtyard over supper and I watch women carrying heavy tables and carrying heavy chairs and doing everything and the men just stand in the corner and watch. I could start three new connect groups with women leaders but there aren't any men. The welcome teams are full of women and where are the men? Men of Church by Bridge, will you please stop and think how you can express your manhood and express what it means to be a man by what you wear, the way you speak to people, the way that you treat women. Just be blokes, please. Men be men. Women be women. And perhaps people will walk into this church and say, this is a church where God is honoured and the gospel will go out. I'll leave you with a quote from Napoleon Dynamite. Great, for, uh, great scene in the film. Someone says to Napoleon, Napoleon, what are you going to do today? And he goes, whatever I feel like doing. Whatever I feel like doing. And I reckon, thanks to them, I reckon, <laughs> I reckon that's the attitude we come to church. I'll do in this church whatever I feel like doing. Uh, if, I, if I'm a woman, who cares if I'm a woman? I can do whatever I want. I'll do whatever I want as a bloke. Uh, what I do has no impact on other people. I'll do whatever I feel like doing. And we fail to recognise that we do have an impact on each other. What we do and what we say and what we wear impacts other people. And I'm pleading with you and I'm praying for you that we as a church will be responsible. Men be men. Women be women. Think hard how you can encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ to be godly and to bring glory to Jesus. Let me pray. Uh, Father, your word is confronting, but we do thank you that you have made us male and female, and we thank you that you a good God who made us both in your image. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, all the similarities and 
all the qualities that we share and we thank you for all the differences that you've made us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a church to reflect those differences. Uh, Lord, when we gather, we pray that, I pray that we would seem to be godly men and godly women. And I pray that you'd help us to think hard this week, even tonight, about how your word is going to change who we are and what we do and what we wear and the way that we relate. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.